Okay, so uh, shifting gears uh, now, we're going uh, gonna to get into Psalm 8, and so I think you're already there. The title of the sermon is Abiding in Praising God. Abiding in Praising God. Psalm 8 is, I think probably, it's not like there's some list, but I think it's probably a top 10 psalm in, form, in the sense of popularity and content. Uh, why is it a top 10 psalm? It's because it's full of uh, really dynamic poetry and uh, existential questions are considered, and uh, including uh, God giving us personhood from Him, God giving us purpose from Him. Psalm 8, start to finish, is praise to the Lord. And uh, that is a refreshing thing, uh, considering we've been in Psalms 3 through 7 when uh, some of it is praise to the Lord, but a lot of it is just hanging on for dear life and crying out to the Lord and asking the Lord questions like, how long? And then we come to Psalm 8 and it is 100% praise to the Lord. And one of the things that I've enjoyed about being in the Psalms already, and I've heard the same from you through small groups and discussions, is we're going chapter by chapter through the Psalms. And I've never personally done that. I've read it, but to study it like this is amazing because you see how connected it is, how intentional God is with, with um, the, the, the pathway into understanding what God is teaching us about himself. So Psalm 8 is between Psalms 3 and 7 and through Psalms, uh, between uh, Psalms 9 through 14. And y'all are like, well, yeah, that's where 8 is in the numerical order, right? But let me explain what's going on. Psalm, Psalm 3 through 7 is about David's personal powerlessness against evil in this world. He's like, I, there, evil is so big and it's so against me and God, you've anointed me, but evil is still big. What's going on? And then he sees God provide and he sees who he is and he sees uh, God as refuge and shield and all of that. So he's growing and he's praising God by the end of those Psalms. He's really praising God throughout the Psalms because Prayer is a form of praise, right? Question is a form of praise, but, but he's getting to that point of God, you are at the end of the Psalms. And then Psalm 9 through 14 is really similar, but now it's a group of people called the poor and afflicted ones. That's literally who they're called. They're called the poor and afflicted ones. Uh, and they join up with David and they together are, are considering the powerlessness which they feel in relation to the evil that is going on in this world. And so they come to David while David's hiding out and they're hanging out with him and they're talking about the Lord and how to get through things. So here in the middle of all of that is Psalm 8. And Psalm 8 is an amazing breather, right? You, it's, not like they're, it's not like they're not in the throes of the things that they've been in in Psalms 3 through 7. Some of it's resolved, but those people are still out there. We know that life still goes on and we're not in heaven yet. So Psalm 8 is this beautiful breather of praise to the Lord, start to finish. That's it's incredible for us to read and see and breathe. And it gives us, it gives us such tremendous perspective sandwiched between these groups of psalms. So the glorious purpose of Psalm 8 and its intentional placement is this, and here's the big idea today. It's God is the powerful, caring creator who fulfills his covenant promises, right? God is the powerful, caring creator who fulfills his covenant Promises, And we'll see that as we go today in five praises from Psalm 8 for us today. So here's the first praise from Psalm 8. It's this, it's this that God's name is awe-inspiring in all the earth. Just from verse 1a, God's name is awe-inspiring in 
all the earth. So verse 1a, it says, To the choir master, according to the Giddeth, at the Psalm of David, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That is an amazing phrase. That is an amazing phrase. And he says it again verbatim in verse 9, but between verses 1 and verse 9, we're going to see why he's repeating it in verse 9, and it's more full of meaning for us as he repeats it, okay? So, so what does this mean? O Lord, our Lord means Yahweh Adonai. We've been talking about what Yahweh is, what that name means. It's the covenant-keeping God. The word Adonai for God is God's sovereign rule as God. So, so David is saying covenant-keeping keeping sovereign ruler God. How majestic is your name in all the earth? And that means, God, yours is a household name. Everyone's aware that you exist. Everyone's aware that we're small. There's something bigger out there. Not everyone would submit themselves to you yet, but I know who you are and your name is majestic in all the earth. This is a declaration from a man who has been through the ringer and he's kind of through part of the ringer, but he's still in the ringer, right? All of us feel like that. We've come through some things in life but we're still in difficult situations. And he is praising the Lord. He's lifting his eyes and he's saying true things to the Lord about who the Lord is. And as he's praising, his soul is filling up. What an amazing picture of worship to the Lord. King David has, I just mentioned it, but he's been through the ringer and he's been delivered. So, so several things. One is God has forgiven him of the sin, which he which he committed against Bathsheba. And God has brought him uh, and disciplined him back into abiding. And so we, we, David is thinking here like, God loves me, he's restored me, he's transformed me. And then we see that God has been David's refuge and David's rest and David's shield and David's confidence through dark times. So David is facing, remember, all of these difficult things, and David is learning. He knows of the character of God, but then you're faced with a circumstance and you take the character of God and you're like, I trust the Lord. And we have this choice. Do I make my object the circumstance or do I make my object the Lord? And he's saying, I make my object the Lord and this is the subject, the circumstance, but God is bigger. And so he's saying, oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. As he's been through all of that, what does David do? He's got all of these emotions, all of this history. He probably, we'll talk about this in a minute, is exhausted. So he's got all of that in him, all of that maybe weighing him down, but his soul and his mouth are praising God. He's exploding in worship because of who the Lord is. He takes a minute to consider, more than a minute for sure, because of just the content of this psalm. He's praising the Lord. And in the coming verses, we capture some insight into what David means specifically, why he's praising the Lord like this. And here's the second one. It's that God is stronger than the enemy. God is stronger than the enemy. First, do y'all believe that? Like, we're gonna talk about that, but like, do you really believe it? I know we know it, but do you really live that he is? And this is one thing that David has learned to do. So verses 1b through 2, we'll start with 1b. It says, you have set your glory above the heavens, right? So that's who God is. That's where God exists. He's omnipresent, but that's, that's his throne above the heavens, right? How many humans have set their glory above the heavens, right? Answer is like zero, 
And here's God who has set his glory above the heavens. And what David is facing, and we know this because of, the, of verse two, but let me go ahead and share it to you. Part of what he Part of what he is experiencing and has felt is the glory of evil. And, and by glory, I don't mean the goodness of evil. I mean what's manifest from evil, the glory of it. That's what the word glory means it, often in the scriptures. What is manifesting out of the evil in this world, and it's daunting to us. We're like evil is strong, evil is powerful, evil is alive and breathing, and it is all around us. And there's this glory of evil in our world, but God sets his glory above the heavens. And real quick, you realize like, okay, glory or the, the evil in this world, big, daunting, but there's God in heaven above the heavens with a better and wonderful type of glory, amen? So that's what, that's what he's meditating on. That's what he's saying for us. Think of David as a leader and he's like, there's so many difficult things in this world, but God, your glory is above the heavens. There's so many things that are manifest in this world that, that are, are not glorious to you, Lord, or glorifying to you, but your glory is above the heavens. So as I think about King David here saying these phrases, uh, he's not just coping He's not just coping by explaining uh, or, or exclaiming, your glory is above the heavens. He's not just coping. What he's doing is beyond that. He's contrasting God with everything else. He's saying, your glory is above the heavens. Everything else is here. Even though this stuff is overwhelming, your glory is above the heavens. That's what worship does, is it gets our eyes, our minds, our souls, our strength on the Lord and who he is, and above all the big and overwhelming things here. Does wickedness loom large on earth? Yes, but God is above the heavens. So David goes on, verse two, he says, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. What an interesting verse, right? Right, what is, he, what is he talking about here, right? So he's gone from God's glory that's above the heavens now to like literally the weakest, the weakest type of human, a human baby, an infant. So God is being praised by the weakest in humanity, by those who can't care for themselves He's receiving praise from them. So, so what is David getting at? What is David pointing out? It's that our weakness plus God's strength is God's strength. It's still God's strength, right? Are y'all with me on that? Like our weakness, the weakest person, the weakest people, when we are smashed down by life, in our weakness with God's strength, it's still God's strength. And David knows that. He's living it. He's lived it, he's living it, and he will live it. I think Psalm 8 is looking back at 3 through 7, and it's looking forward at what's coming because David is a realist, and he's like, I got God no matter what is coming. I think of 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So think about this, David had been hiding, he'd fled Jerusalem, he's got all of these complex fears he's facing, people are lying about him, people are betraying him, and then he's saying over and over, yet God, but you, O Lord. And then here, in the midst of that, David is getting very specific, and I love this, and this is so applicational for us. He's getting very specific about who the enemy is. 
The enemy is not here. He's not, he's not saying the enemy is Absalom, which is David's son who has conscripted 12,000 assassins uh, to try to kill David. So Absalom's son is trying to kill him. So he's not talking about Absalom as the enemy. He's not talking about the words of Cush that we just saw in chapter 7 as the enemy. That's the other tribe who's believing the lies about him. He's not, he's not talking about them as the enemy. He's saying the enemy is the evil one. Notice that the enemy is singular. He's not saying our enemies. That's really common in in the Psalms and in the scriptures. He's saying here the enemy, which is the avenger, which is the arch enemy of God and therefore our arch enemy as God's people. So is God stronger than the enemy? The answer is yes. Amen? Right? Is God stronger than the enemy? Yes. All right? I I want y'all to have more conviction in your answer all right, I'm not picking on you right now. I'm just learning. Like, I think a difference for Christians is our level of conviction about some of these bedrock things. Like, when we're living in our culture and we're facing the things that we face, like, I think a big difference in how we handle that is our level of conviction, right? So is God stronger than the enemy? Yes, yes he is, by all means. Now, <laughs> does it always feel that way? No. But is God stronger than the enemy? Yes, and this is what David is going through. This is what we have to realize. It doesn't always look like he is. It doesn't always feel like he is, but by all means, God is always stronger than the enemy. So Psalm 8, therefore really important for our faith when we have both of those things battling in our minds and we're constantly choosing God is stronger. It doesn't feel that way, but God is. Psalm 8 is so important for our faith. So to prove that God is stronger... And here's what David's doing. David is an excellent theologian. And we realize that in Psalm 8 in huge ways. This guy knows his Bible. And I pray that all of us would really know our Bibles more and more. So David is, he's like going all over the scriptures here, looking, looking back at creation, all of that. So here to prove that God is stronger, here's what he's saying, right? God said way back in Genesis 3.15 that the seed of Adam and Eve would crush the head of the evil one. Right now, you think like a baby is weak, right? But this is the seed of that baby, the seed that's going to pass through all the line of God's people to Jesus. Eventually, this seed is going to crush the evil one. So David's thinking, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you declare grace. Right? You're the covenant keeping God. You're stronger than enemy. You said it. You said it way back in Genesis three fifteen. And then we think of Isaiah 7, 14, that a virgin would conceive a baby who will be the king. So you've got this baby in a manger, Merry Christmas, right? Right? Uh, that is the king of kings. A baby, a weak baby is the king of kings. And God is like, my promise is stronger than everything going on in this world right now. God is stronger than the enemy. And then you think of this king, like all the people in that day were like, you're gonna be king of Israel. You're gonna do this, ride in on your horse, take over everyone, overthrow Rome. And he's like, I'm the king of kings. I'm the king of the nations. I'm the king of all eternity. So he's not just like a nation king. He's the king of kings, right? So then even when it looks like the evil one was victorious, like when is the moment in history when it really looked like Satan won? It's when Jesus died on the cross. And then when Jesus is taken off the cross and he's walked to a tomb, carried to a tomb, laid in a tomb and a stone was rolled over it. Like, he's, he's dead. But Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. 
right? He paid the penalty of sin. He, that seed was, was born and then grew into a man, the God-man who has always existed and came in human flesh. And then he fought the enemy, beat the enemy, stranglehold on sin and death and was victorious and rose from the dead. Right? That's our Lord. God is stronger than the enemy. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength. Why? Because of your foes, because of evil, because of the curse of sin to still the enemy and the avenger. Incredible what the Lord has done. God is stronger than the enemy. He's the covenant-keeping God. So do you believe God is stronger than the enemy? Do you believe? Do you believe? Let me say it again. Do you believe God is stronger than the enemy? Yes. Right? We have reason to believe that in our own lives. We have reason to believe that from Psalm 8. David's like, let me give you more than Psalm 8. Genesis 3.15, Isaiah 7.14, right? John 19.30, it is finished. And, and everywhere in between and beyond that. Here's the third, the third praise from Psalm 8 today. First is God's name is awe-inspiring in all the earth. Second, God is stronger than the enemy. Third, God cares for his human creation. And this is amazing. You know how you have a devotional life and you're like, your mind is all over the place, but as long as it's on God, it's okay, right? I think Psalm 8 is, it's really linear. Like he, he's, he's got a flow of thought here, but coming off of 1B and 2, I'm like, oh, wow, this is a little different, right? And he's just, he's thinking about the Lord and it's so incredible how, he's, how God is ministering to him through his devotional life. So here, here, this one is God cares for his human creation. Three through four says, when I look at your heavens, do y'all look at, the skies, like, do you look up at the heavens? He says, when I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers and the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? He's like, this doesn't make sense. You created everything. You hung the stars and you care for me. You've been a refuge and a shield for me in the most specific ways and you hung the stars. So he's meditating. He knows God's strong. He's talking about how God is creator. And then how is God the creator who is powerful over the, how does he care for me? How is it that he cares for me? And y'all, there's some huge existential questions here. Like existential means how and why we exist in three through eight. And here in three through four, questions like, what is mankind? And uh, aren't we just tiny specks of dust in the grandness of everything? And and uh, are we intelligently designed? And is there a creator? And if so, can I know him? Those are all questions that are answered by three and four and then coming in a minute in five through eight. So the answer to those questions is you are created by God and God cares for you. Amen? Right? That is awesome. There's so many humans that don't get that. There's so many humans that don't know that right now. But you are created by God and God cares for you. And then as Christians, we're recreated by God. And God cares for us as his sons and daughters in his church, redeemed by our faith in Jesus Christ. So I want you to think about this, three through four. This has kind of probably been my primary thought about Psalm 8 for years and decades. Uh, King David is on a hillside at night, right? He's in Devo mode. Y'all just ever go outside at night and you're looking up at the stars, and if not, just do it, right? Gaze at the stars, get outside and pray, y'all, right? So he's up there and he's like, He's like, how is it, Lord, that you, the God of the universe, care about me? Why is he asking that question? It's because he's staring at the universe. And he's like, you made the heavens. You made all of that. Like, I don't even know what that is, but you made it. And you care 
for me. So it's like David realizes how tiny he is and how big God is. And then he's, he's like, there's this thing that connects us and it's God's care for us. And he loves that and he's meditating on that. So I just want us to receive that God created you and is caring for you right now. He created you. He loves you. He formed you. He cares for you. He loves you. So don't give him the cold shoulder, but instead come to him. Come to him and follow him and worship him and obey him. All right, we're going to do a little more like older Old Testament, okay? So Genesis 15, right? Genesis 15 is about Abraham, and in Genesis 12, God calls Abraham, and then in Genesis 15, now Abraham was like 70-something years old. Uh, Sarah, his wife, is barren. Uh, God had said, I'm going to build a great nation out of you. Sarah's laughing. Abraham's like, what are you talking about? I'm old. We're barren. This is impossible. And they're, they're kind of stuck. Like, I believe you, Lord, by faith, but Nothing physical about this makes any sense. And so God takes Abraham. This is like God caring for us. Beautiful example of of Psalm 8. Like puts God's loving arms around Abraham, walks him outside and says, look at the stars. Y'all remember this scene? Look at the stars. And you see all of those, Abraham? Your offspring will be just like those, as many as those. And Abraham's staring up at the sky thinking like, so he's got that moment. Do I believe God or do I believe what seems physically impossible? And so eventually, Sarah and Abraham have kids, and, and, then, and they have kids, and they have kids, and, and right, the people of faith, the physical people of faith. But then we learn from Galatians that the real offspring of Abraham are those who are offspring of Abraham by faith, and, and believing by faith as Abraham did in the promise, and that promise is toward the Lord Jesus. So the spiritual sons and daughters of Abraham are people like us who believe in Jesus and believe the promise like Abraham did and that believing is credited to us as righteousness and we're saved by that faith in God and his son Jesus and his plan. So that's, so that's remembering Genesis 15. All right, next, let's, do y'all remember the Lion King? right? Do y'all remember the Lion King? And do you remember the scene in the Lion King when uh, Pumbaa and Timon and Simba are laying in the grass and they're looking up at the stars and Timon's like, I think there are fireflies stuck in the sky. I don't know. I can't do the accent, right? Uh, I think there are fireflies stuck in the sky. And then, and then uh, Simba's like, no, those are the lions who have gone and passed on and they're looking down over us. And then Pumbaa's like, I think they're flaming balls of burning gas, you know? And we're like, he's right. He's right. Pumbaa's got it right, right? So, so for us as believers, when we're outside and we're looking up at the skies, we think, just like Pumbaa, those are giant balls of burning gas. That's the stars, right? Check, science, good, okay? And they're a reminder to us of the spiritual offspring of Abraham and how God fulfills his covenant promise. And so I just, I know... Um, my, my family just went through this. I know a lot of y'all, like, it's the middle of the fall, right? The time just changed. It's dark at like five. That is so annoying. If any of y'all love that, just tell me how to love that myself, right? So, like, we went through school stuff and then, like, sports and just the, the, the busyness of that. It's wonderful, but then it's like, then all the, we're just so busy and we're tired. And I'm looking at my wife, I'm like, she's exhausted. And I'm just thinking, yeah, we are tired. And I think that represents everybody. Even, I know all of y'all, we all have different levels of what we're doing and fatigue, but we're all kind of tired. We're in the middle of the fall, right? And then what happens is you kind of get your eye toward Christmas. You're like, that's going to be good. But first you got to go through the, oh man, I got a plan for the holidays, right? So we're in that zone. And I, I just want to encourage all of us to have a soulmate moment. Like 
go outside and get yourself, um, get, get the Lord bigger in your window, right? Like go outside and realize how amazing he is, how he cares for you, how big he is, and just put things in perspective. Like what we have is big to us, but it's not big to God. What you're facing that's difficult is big to us, but it's not too big for God. Just remember that, know that, get, like go outside and have a long devotion with the Lord. Like just skip a practice, get a B on an assignment, or a C, C's get degrees, right? Like, but worship the Lord. Like, that's what the Lord cares about, right? Like, know him. Walk with him. So why? Because he who hung the stars cares for you, and he wants to care for you, and he wants to, he wants to walk with you. He redeems you. He leads you. He protects you, okay? So God's name is awe-inspiring in all the earth. God is stronger than the enemy. God uh, cares for his human creation. And here's the next one is God gives purpose to humanity. God gives purpose to humanity from verses five through eight. Y'all realize how many people are wandering around wondering what is my purpose? And then to be able to be given that purpose from the creator, like it doesn't get more clear than that. That's what five, and eight is, five through eight is. It says, Yet you have made him, meaning mankind, a little lower than the heavenly beings and have crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. Right, so in Genesis 1.26, God gives us what we call the uh, the cultural mandate, all right? And that cultural mandate from the Lord, the Lord has just created Adam and Eve. He says, I've created you male and female. And he says, uh, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. Be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. What does that mean? It means, it means raise kids. It means uh, advance civilization through your job. It means be an image bearer of the creative creator God who creates good. Right? Do those things. Be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. What, what Psalms uh, 8, 5 through 8 says is we are the crown of creation. Human beings are the crown of creation. We are, we are more important to the Lord than the animals. Right? He's made us special. He has given us consciousness by, from him. And then he's given us a glorious fraction of God-given ability so that we can create good things and be stewards of God's good creation. It's who he made us to be. And so we're thinking like, God, you're the creator and you hung the stars, but then you made us creators too. You made us creative and we get to bear your image in this world and do good just like in the creation story. You created something and it was good but that something's like earth, right? Or, or like the trees or the, the land and, and then we're creating a spreadsheet. But God, I want it to be good. I want it to be for your glory. I want it to be to advance civilization. We're raising kids. We're helping one another raise kids. We're helping one another grow in the Lord, right? You're bearing the image of God who loves people who wants to see humanity flourish, who wants to see the earth and God's creation flourish. And so it's an honor to be the crown of creation as human beings. It's an honor, but and we go wrong when we're like, right, God gave me the crown. No, God's still got the crown, right? But he's crowned us with his purposes to bear his image in this world. And I think sometimes we, not sometimes, like all the time, human beings are overdoing that. We're like, we got this. We don't need God this is what we're gonna do. And instead, it's like receive from the Lord to steward 
humanity to steward the earth and honor him and be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. That's our purpose. That's our purpose as human beings. And then here's the last point today. The last praise I've worded it differently than the first one because now it's a little bit more full of meaning after, after Psalm 8. It's this, God's awe-inspiring name must be spread in all the earth. God's awe-inspiring name must be spread in all the earth. So it says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It's exactly the same as 1A, right? Yahweh, Adonai, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Covenant-keeping, sovereign ruler, God, how wonderful your name is in all the earth. Your name is a household name. He says it again. But what's different now is he wants what he has with the Lord. He wants the Lord for everyone. He wants God's name to be a household name in the sense that everybody knows the Lord. Everybody knows his covenant. Everybody's been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Like you can't, you can't, have, you can't go out onto a hillside, stare at the stars and see all those stars that you hung in place. I read this week, like, uh, Eugene Peterson calls it God's sky jewelry. I thought that was genius, right? You see all of that and then you, you're just like, you go about your, your normal life. No, you gotta like tell people about that. You want the Lord for people. You come back to your home, you come back to your people and you're like, I want you to know the Lord and that's exactly what David's saying here. Same verse as 1A, but now it's meaning is loaded with praise and purpose. Like, Lord, how majestic is your name and may your kingdom come and may your will be done. Your kingdom, meaning all this covenant seed toward Jesus, your, your, your will be done, meaning like humanity serving you and glorifying you the help of your Holy Spirit. So Tuesday night at prayer night, uh, Pastor Ronnie showed uh, a slide of, of reached, unreached, and unreached people groups around the world, and, and uh, that slide's coming up here in just a second. Boom! <laughs> that was awesome. Wow. Solomon. That was good, man. That was good. We'll work on it and do it better next week. All right, and then, so first of all, prayer night was awesome. Thank you to, to Ronnie and Charles for leading that for us. It was wonderful. Uh, and so, so what Ronnie was showing us, and we've looked at this before as we've sent teams overseas, and, and this, um, it didn't change, Ronnie. All right, so anyway, it's okay, it's okay. So um, the green represents uh, city, states, and nations uh, that are reached. And so if there's light green, it's reached. If it's dark green, it's, it's really reached. And what that means by reached is there's a strong gospel presence in those areas. Yellow means it's an area where either Christianity is in decline or, or it's, coming, it's, it's, on, it's climbing, but it's not in a, in a spot where it's reached yet. And then red zones means uh, gospel, wit- there's very little gospel witness and root there. So we prayed for these. And what we prayed for green zones was, and that's where we live, right? There's a lot of gospel witness where we live, right? This is happening right here. This is, church is here, it's established. We're, we're in a green zone. So, so what we prayed for is conversions and genuine faith in, in these green zones. And, and I was, Ronnie and I were at the conference a couple weeks ago and, and we we're praying like, Lord, we don't want to just go to Trio and like do good ministry. Like, hey, Trio, we love you. We want to see people come to faith there, right? Uh, we don't want to just go to Refugee Hope Partners and like put on a great meal and we're going to do that. We're awesome. Like we, the things we're going to bring to these, it's going to be awesome. Just y'all and your welcomingness and your genuineness is amazing. So we want to bring all of that, but we want to, we want to talk to people about the Lord Jesus, 
right? We want to see conversions. We want to see transformation. We'd love to see a small group planted at Trio. We'd love to see more, uh, more refugees saved. We've seen five saved. We'd love to see more saved, right? So that's green zones, yellow zones. We want to pray for revival in those areas. Red zones, we want to pray for, for gospel witness in those areas. Why? Because God's awe-inspiring name must be spread in all the earth. We can't know and live Psalm 8 without having desire that everyone else could know and live Psalm 8. Are y'all with me on that? Like we want other people to say, oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. He's saying, oh Lord, because he knows the Lord. We want other people to know the Lord. And so it makes us a people who want God's kingdom to come and want his will to be done in all the earth. So our praise, our devotions, they don't, they don't stay like huddled together with us. They, they multiply out of us, especially devotions like Psalm 8. So what does Psalm 8 do? Psalm 8 praises God's creativity. Psalm 8 uh, strength, uh, praises God's strength over the enemy. Psalm 8 praises God's care for us. Psalm 8 praises God's covenant promise to send Jesus. Psalm 8 defines personhood for us. Psalm 8 uh, reminds us of purpose. Psalm 8 sends us and crowns us bearing witness about the king. That's Psalm 8. It's an incredible place, an incredible place in God's word for us to meditate on today. So let's pray together. Um, Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are and that you are the, the promised seed of Genesis 3.15 and of Isaiah 7.14 and that you came and you hung on a cross and you said it is finished and you defeated the power of sin and death and you defeated the enemy. We praise you. God, you are more powerful than enemies. Lord, you use the weak to confound the strong. Your covenant love marches on despite evil in this world. Your offer of forgiveness of Jesus stands while there is still time. You care for us, Father, with Jesus. You care for us with daily bread. You care for us with covenant love. Lord, you purpose us. You've literally created us and wired us to worship you and to serve you and to love this world well. So you purpose us to care for what you love, your creation and all peoples. So Lord, may we bear your image well by loving and caring well for your creation. Bless the work of our hands, Lord. And Lord, we want every tongue and tribe and nation to know you. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen.